I'm going to do something that I, I don't normally do, um, that I've never done so far in, in our eight years as a church. The next two weeks, what I'm going to be doing is, you know, I study these passages that I'll be preaching on quite a bit. Uh, they've moved me personally, and uh, they've been a very, uh, they've provided very unique dimensions of, of the gospel as I've studied and made them personal to me. So bear with me. What I'm going to do is um, I'm going to go without notes today, and I'm going to just go organically and teach as, uh, as I walk through this text with you. And uh, we're going to teach this passage devotionally. Um, we have limited time, so just bear with me, and I hope that it's meaningful for you. Because for years, I, as, I've, as I've grown to embrace the gospel and love the gospel, one of the questions that I've had over and over was, how do you actually change? How does the gospel actually shape you? And so we're going to look at three things today. One, why we need to change. Two, what it is. What is change? What does it mean to change? And lastly, where do you get the power? How do you find the power to actually change? Okay, so uh, why we need to change, what it is, how do you get there? I know a lot of us struggle with, I love the gospel, I get the gospel. What does it mean to really get the gospel in a way that shapes us? So, We're going to begin here. Verse 17, Paul says, and this is why we need to change. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. Now, anytime you hear the apostle Paul, because he rarely does it, he says, I'm going to tell you something and I insist on it in the Lord. That means we should probably listen. And he says this, what is he saying? That you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Remember, Paul is speaking to Gentiles. These are Gentiles who had come into the faith in the church in Ephesus. And so he's really saying is, what I want you to do is reflect on the life, the pattern of life that you used to live as Gentiles. He's describing this pattern of thinking. He says, it's futile. It is in the futility of their thinking. So remember back to when, before you became a Christian, and the worldview that you had, the perspective that you had, The eyes that you saw the world through. Paul says that was a futile life. That word means meaningless, purposelessness. Verse 18, they are darkened. We're going to go down a rat hole now. And then as we zoom into the heart, we're going to come back out, okay? He says in verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. Imagine being in a dark room. There's no light. It's pitch black. It is impossible to navigate yourself in a dark room that is pitch black when you're trying to get from point A to point B without getting hurt in some way. There's no clarity. And because there's no clarity, there's no light. Because there's no light, you're bound to hit something. You're bound to stumble. You're bound to get hurt in some way. Stub your toe. Hurt yourself in some way. And so he says, they are darkened in their understanding. And as a result, their lives are futile. Their thinking is futile. As if they were in a dark room without clarity, trying to get from point A to point B. And they are separated from the life of God. He says they are separated from all that is alive in God. The blessings of of being in a relationship with God. The life that God gives. God gives new life. There's light. There's life. But in a dark room and being separated from God, there is no clarity. There is no life. And he explains why. He says it's because of the ignorance that is in them. Why do we need to change? Two reasons. One, because we choose to resist God, the Father. He says the ignorance, we have ignored. There's something in our hearts that causes us to resist 
the life of God, that causes us to resist the clarity of God's word, of the life that comes of being in a relationship with God. And he says, we resist it. There's an ignorance there that is in us. He doesn't say it's, it's caused because we grew up in the wrong family or we grew up in the wrong environment or we never you know, grew up under this context or we, we grew up very oppressed in one way, shape. He doesn't blame anything else but yourself. He says, the ignorance is in us. Why? It's due to the hardening of our hearts. There's a natural disposition in our hearts to resist God. Paul's saying that there's a natural disposition in our hearts to choose to go against God. It happened way back in Genesis chapter uh, 3, which is the first book of the Bible. Adam and Eve, who experienced intimacy with God, Adam experienced intimacy with God. God walked with Adam. He knew Adam, and Adam knew the father, his creator. There was an intimacy there. There was access. There was paradise. And yet Adam chose to rebel against God when he chose to take the fruit that God told him not to eat of. And when he chose to do that, what Paul is saying is, ever since man has chosen to resist God, that spiritual DNA is passed on to the rest of us. And so there's a natural predisposition in our hearts to be hardened to God's word, to dislike what he has to say about real reality, to dislike what he has to say about what will give us a fruitful life. And so if you put this together, it says, the text says here that we have lost clarity. We have lost a a vibrant life because we're separated from the life of God. And as a result of that, there is an ignorance. We've chosen this. It's because we've chosen to go against God naturally because our hearts are hardened towards him. And because our hearts are not soft and we've chosen to ignore his words, the truth. And because we've chosen to ignore this truth, we're separated from the life of God. And so we've lost clarity. We're in a dark room alone trying to navigate from point A to point B, and it's impossible to get there without getting hurt. He says, our thinking is futile. And the result of that is verse 19. We've lost sensitivity. When your heart is hard, you lose sensitivity. You know, when you go to the dentist, and there's a tremendous pain, and the dentist says, you know, I'm going to try to work uh, to, to heal this pain. What he first does is because there's a tremendous amount of pain there and there's a lot of sensitive, there's a lot of nerve endings right there in your mouth. What he does is he injects in you uh, some Novocaine. And when he injects Novocaine into you, what happens is um, in a few minutes, after a while, you lose complete feeling. And it drives you nuts because it goes hours after the procedure. Your teeth are now, he's cleaned your teeth, he's He's, uh, he's taken out whatever, whatever the pain, uh, the source of the pain is. He's cleaned that up. He's, he's, uh, he's fixed it, but the numbness remains. And what happens is then you can't drink right. You can't eat right. In fact, when you're eating, sometimes you chew on your lip or your cheek. You're trying to scratch at it to see if there's any type of feeling whatsoever. There are people uh, in the world who uh, have uh, paralysis. It may be very, very localized or it could be very, very systemic. 
but there is absolutely no feeling. And when there's no feeling, there's a sense of decay. There's a sense of, of, uh, of entropy in the body because you, you cannot feel anything. And so your, your, your mind, you actually go crazy trying to, trying to feel something. And Paul says, because our hearts are hardened towards the Father, because our hearts are hardened towards reality, We've lost all sensitivity. And so we're just trying to feel something. And what do we do? We turn to other things as a replacement for God, as a replacement for our relationship with God. Instead of getting intimacy with God, we want intimacy with others. And so we give ourselves over. We, we sacrifice many things that are precious to us, things that we didn't even know were precious to us. We sacrifice our purity. We sacrifice our chastity. We sacrifice our integrity. For some of us, it may not be even that we're sacrificing. Our, and there's an emotional weight that we place on these people because we desperately want to feel something. We want to feel the love and the embrace and the warmth that comes with intimacy because we've lost intimacy with the Father. We want access, and so we try to get access. And so we fight and we argue for that kind of access, don't we? A lot of us, it may not be in a personal relationship. We try to find it in our work. So what we do is we pour ourselves into our work. We give ourselves over that phrase, basically, uh, that the Paul says they have given themselves over. They have basically enslaved themselves over to sensuality just to feel something, to feel the warmth, to feel the intimacy. We want to get approval from our bosses. We want to get approval from our institutions. For some of us, it's a cause. There's a warmth when you feel like you've accomplished something, when you've, when, you've, uh, when you've stood for something, when you've fought for something. Because deep inside the heart, there's also a desire for justice. We know that the world is broken. We know that the world is unjust. So we're constantly fighting for justice, whether it's for you personally or for the, for the wider body of people around you. And when you feel like you're doing something like that, there's a sense of community. There's a sense of warmth. There's a sense of embrace. There's a sense of solidarity. We had all those things when we were in the garden, walking with God. But when we chose to be separated from God, our hearts became hard. And in that numbness, we're just doing everything we can just to feel something. And so Paul says they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. He's clearly talking and honing in on one particular type of, of, of giving ourselves over. And he says with a continual lust for more. That's why we need it. Because our hearts are hard. We've grown numb. And without some sort of change in our lives... There will be a continual lust for more. There will be a continual downward spiral of of hardening and ignorance and separation and, and blindness and numbness as a result. And this craving that continues on until eventually the corrosiveness of that craving will just will will destroy you once and for all. That's why you need it. Because otherwise we would fall apart. We'd be lost in darkness. What is it? The Apostle Paul says in verse 20, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. In other words, what he's saying is this is the importance of the word of God. The word of God dwelling in you, which it means it's, it's alive. 
You read it in the call to worship that, that the prayer is that the word of God would dwell richly in you. What, he's, what you hear from that is that the word of God is alive and it is rich and it enlivens you and it does things in you. It is a dynamic power that makes you rich inside. That brings a richness and a flavor inside in your life. He says, you didn't come to know Christ that way. You, here's how you came to know Christ. In other words, you heard of him and you were taught with him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. In other words, you let the word of God dwell richly in you and it started to shape you. You start to feel something. It started to break through that hardness. We're going to get to how it happens. Verse 22, what were you taught? What has changed? You were taught with regard to that former way of life, that pattern of thinking that was futile, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. It's continuing on in that downward spiral of corrosion and corruption until one day, every lie that you've bought into and every lie that you've ever told will wind you down into nothingness and meaninglessness forever. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off the old self, put on the new self. Those are the two things you control over, he says. You can put off the old self, which is actually corrupting you over and over again. It's being corrupted by its deceitful desires because you're trying to replace God because you're looking for to feel something because your heart is hard and you are resisting and ignoring the word of God. And so you're constantly trying to replace him with other things in your life. And, and as a result, you're buying into every lie and telling every lie. You're being corrupted by its deceitful desires. That's your old self. He says, I want you to put that off. That's something that you to do. He says, you should do that. And you got to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, here's something interesting to put off and to put on, it's, a, it's in a tense that's used in Greek that you don't see in the English language. It's called the aorist tense. And that tense is really, it, it represents a past single completed action. He's talking about repentance. Repentance is an event that has happened that has great impact going on for the rest of time. It's a past, single, completed action. You have put off. He says, you were taught to put off. That's you in the past, and so you did it. You were taught to put off and to put on. To put off the old self, to put on the new self. In other words, it's not that you need behavior. It's not that you need a new behavior. It's not that you need new manners. You need a new self. It's not that you need supplement. You need newness. It's not that you need something to improve an old way of life. He says, you need a whole new life. Put off that old self that is futile in its thinking, being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That aorist tense says it's a single past completed action. He's talking about repentance. He's talking about when you became a Christian, you have put off the old self. It's done. 
It's based, it rests on the finished work of Christ. Now on the cross, Jesus Christ said, it is finished. The debt that we owed in sin when we chose to rebel against God has been forgiven. And Christ has then endowed us with his righteousness and his holiness. That's the essence of the gospel. Trusting and knowing, knowing deeply to the degree that it shapes you to forsake the old self, which is what you trusted in, all the other things that you use to replace God, and to move towards a life to put on the new self, the righteousness of Christ, holiness of God. He's talking about union. You take off the old self, which has been placed on Christ. You put on the new self, which Christ endows with you, his character, his kingliness. And you see that in the word of God. Now, we talk about what we are responsible to do is to put off and to put on. It's a single completed past action that reverberates through the rest of your life. In other words, your life is going to consist of moments where you realize, hey, I put this old self off. And I've been united with Christ. I've put on the likeness of Christ. The character of Christ, he's endowed that with me. He's endowed me with his life. What that means is that he has given me the power to change before I had no power to change. He's given me power to change. I have his righteousness. I have his holiness. Now, you'll see, if you continue to read on past verse 24, Paul starts to list out a whole barrage of areas that need to change. And he says, I want you to be kinder. I want you to deal with others better. It's, it's almost reminiscent of what we read in the call to worship in Colossians chapter 3. He says, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness. And he goes on and talks about the patience of Christ. To bear with one another. To forgive one another, he says. To worship well. All these things are things that are endowed by Christ. Given to us when we have put, on the, put off the old self. And put on Christ. We now have the power to embrace these things. The Christian life is not so much about having no sin. The Christian life now says, I have a struggle with sin. Before it wasn't a struggle. Now there's a struggle. And I realize in my repentance, I put this life off. And I put on Christ. I now have the power to change. And I desire that change. I want to grow in that change. The word of God reveals the need to change. The word of God reveals how to change some ways the world word of god points me to christ who's endowed me with his righteousness so that i can actually change how do you change how do you get it you need to be you got to look at putting off and putting on as almost two sides uh two sides of a, a road i suppose You put off the old self, cross the street, you put on the new self. But it's impossible to do that on our own. It's impossible to put off and then put on, on our own. We don't have the power to do that on our own. So Paul masterfully places in between, in verse 23, let's start in verse 22. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, 
to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We need a bridge that joins together what we put off and what we put on, that our old self can be put to death, and we could rise in our new selves in Christ, in our union with him. And the bridge is the one thing that we have no control over. We have to be fully reliant on a gracious God and a loving father and a a gracious king who will endow us with that power. How do you change verse 23? We need to be made new in the attitude of our minds. We need to be made new in the attitude of our minds. To be made new is an interesting phrase because whereas to put off and to put on as a single past action, completed, finished work, a finished action, To be made new is a present progressive, meaning that it needs to always happen in our lives. We constantly need our attitude, the attitude of our minds to be made new. That's something that only God does is to make you new in the attitude of your minds. What is the attitude of our minds? What Paul's talking about is your mind has an attitude. He's really talking about the core motivation of your heart. The center of your, of your heart, the thing that desires all these things to replace God because we are separated from the life of God. He says that core is driving you to believe things, whether it's a lie or a truth. And so we're constantly pursuing other things. Your mind is constantly conjuring up and thus presents an attitude by which you live out your life. And Paul says... The only way that, another way to really define that is your mind and your heart are captivated by things that, that entice you and make you desire other things to replace God. Well, how do you change that? He says, well, you need to be captivated by something else. You need to be captivated by something new in your heart. Something that will capture your wildest imagination, your deepest imagination. If you're into something that are things that are beautiful, your heart has to be captivated by something more beautiful. If you're looking to accomplish and to finish a work, your heart needs to be captivated by the ultimate finished work. If you are down and low because you are guilty and, and in shame, your heart has to be captivated beyond your wildest imagination of something that will relieve you and comfort you in your guilt and your shame, something that will eradicate, something that is so great and so overpowering and so overwhelming, some truth that will overwhelm the truth that you've clung to that keeps you down. He's not just trying to give you a new self-esteem. He says this is the way of a new life in Christ. To have your mind and your heart captivated in such a way that will shape you at the core and present an attitude that has been shaped at the core. To be made new in the attitude of your minds, something only God can do. What is that? He's clearly talking about the cross of Christ. On the cross, Jesus Christ suffering, and he died. And there he experienced darkness. And so there it said the skies actually grew dark. And darkness enveloped the land. And he was literally separated from God. 
And so Jesus Christ experienced not just the physical darkness and a separation by being here on the earth and suffering to pay the penalty for our sins, our old selves. There he experienced a cosmic darkness and a cosmic separation from God. And so there he cried out, my God, my God, why have you uh, forsaken me? And what he's saying is, now I'm experiencing the ultimate darkness, the ultimate separation from the life of God. I have been forsaken by my father, forsaken by God. And so I am enduring suffering, ultimate suffering. I'm not just being hurt because there's darkness in my life now. I am dying. I am suffering And yet he didn't indulge in sin, not once. He became sin for us. He didn't indulge in sin. He did this without sinning. He became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, on the cross, Jesus Christ put off his old self. He put off his kingliness. He put off his status. He put off his wealth. He put off his richness. The word of God was dwelling in him richly still, and yet he put off and sacrificed all these things. Where was it going to go? Well, he was endowing that on us. In fact, the great high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, he says, Father, I want them to be with me where I am. He's talking about position. He's talking about status. He's talking about relationship with the Father. I want them to have oneness with you. I want them to have the life that I have, the status and the position that I have. So in order for us to have that where we are, he took it off and put it on us. And he clothed himself then with ourselves, our old selves. Jesus Christ put off his old self and took on ourselves so that we can put off ourselves, our old selves, and put on the likeness of Christ. Paul saying, that's what you came to know. How do you you change? Verse 20, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. That word know, there are two words for know in, in the Greek. One is a basic knowledge, a basic knowledge that you cognitively take in and process and understand. There's still some processing. You still get it. You understand the concept. It, does, it is interesting to you. It does make sense to you. It may be counterintuitive, but it's logical to you. It actually may even, uh, you might actually like it. It's interesting to you. But that's not the word no that Paul's using here. He's using the Greek word epignosis. What he's saying is, I want you to come to know Christ in a way that that knowledge sinks to the deepest core and makes you new in the attitude of your minds, the love of Christ, the grace of Christ. Jesus Christ putting off his old self and placing it on you out of his love and compassion and kindness and grace. And you then having the power, receiving the validation and the love and the approval and the embrace and the intimacy and the access that you've been looking for all your life. You now have the power because you're captivated in the heart by a greater love, a greater intimacy, a greater access, a greater beauty, a greater finished work, you can now put off then 
your old self. You can forsake that and put on the righteousness and the holiness of God. You have to be captivated. You have to know, Paul says, you came to know Christ in a way where you, in a single past completed action, were able to repent and say, I'm doing away with my old self. You're making that commitment for the first time today. He said, Paul's saying, you're coming to know Christ. It's shaping you from the core. But for most of us, many of us, we need to consistently be made new in the attitude of our minds because our eyes and our ears and our senses, we're still, because of the indwelling sin in us, we're still captivated by worldly beauties. And so we need to constantly be refreshed with the image and the picture of Christ and his beauty and his righteousness and his holiness in a way that just becomes so beautiful and flavorful for us. Let it dwell richly in you to shape you towards change. A lot of people struggle with sin daily. You know, they can't shake it. They can't shake it. They tell me, you know, I try and try. You know, the point is, it's not so much about trying as it is about trusting. And it doesn't even depend on how well you trust because it's the work of God in your life. Trusting that Jesus Christ defeated sin in you so that one, sin has no penalty. You will not pay for your sins, so stop trying to pay for your sins. Two, sin no longer owns you, no longer controls you, so stop living as if sin controls you and owns you. Stop being enslaved, stop giving yourself over. Three, you don't, you're not, it's the guilt of the sin that sometimes punishes you and pollutes you. It says, there's a greater comfort and a greater truth. Yes, you are a sinner. Yes, you may have done some horrible things. Yes, you may still be in sin, but the power of God is greater in defeating that sin through Jesus. There's a greater power in you, working in you. Let that make you new in the attitude of your minds. And when you let that truth, the love of God, the grace of God, the compassion of God, the intimacy that we have with God, our relationship with God starts to renew and your love for Christ and his beauty and his kingliness, when, you start to, when that captivates you and, and enraptures you, it's going to rile up your senses in a way that you will experience it and know it, even feel it, definitely know it to the core in a way that there's clarity in the midst of darkness, in a way that there's intimacy when there was one separation, in, there, in a way that there's a choice to hear and to be enlivened by these senses when there was once a choice to ignore. And there's a softening in the heart where, where it was once hard. Look to Christ. Otherwise, you're still being corrupted by the deceitful desires that are in us. Put on the new self. Put off the old self, but be made new in the attitude of your mind. That's what's going to soften you and melt your heart towards intimacy with God and open your heart to him again. We need it over and over. Will you reflect on that this week towards change in the midst of this time where God has chosen for us to be in some ways isolated and maybe even separated from many of the things around us? Let it be an opportunity for clarity in your life in a way that shapes you to the core because in the darkness we have captured 
and being captivated by the beauty of Christ and his work. Let's pray together.